What is God's kingdom worth? I appreciate the story. That's a very good story that we had. And I just thought, okay, that's, the story just fits so perfectly well. There's one thing I want to say about all those treasures that you saw on the screen. Every one of those treasures had one thing in common. Now, they were real. I'm not arguing with any of that. Those treasures were real, and they were good treasures. But those treasures, each one of them had one thing in common, and that was this. They were temporary. That chair will one day no longer exist. That little box will one day no longer exist. That little comfy blanket will one day no longer exist. They represent something deeper, yes, but they're temporary. Everything in this world is temporary. You and I are temporary. This place is temporary. The question I want to put to us today is, do we compare the two? There's, there's, there, there are things that have temporary value, but there are things that have eternal value. The temporary can convey an eternal value. The temporary thing can convey an eternal perspective. So there's a, there's a connection, there's a relationship there. As we read in our opening verse, and I'll just read this again, Psalm 145, it says, For your kingdom is an everlasting kingdom. You rule throughout all generations. The Lord always keeps His promises. He's gracious in all He does. The psalmist had something important to say here. And I'd just like to put it in here, interject this here. We are going through a sermon series on the parables of Jesus, on the kingdom focus. In the first Sunday, we talked about the parable of the sower and the seed, Matthew 13. You can read that. Basically, four types of people. Unbelievers, shallow believers, divided believers, and then fruitful believers. Not only the fruitful believers really uh, make it to anything. The second Sunday, we talked about the mustard seed and the yeast, and how the kingdom of heaven is not a forceful, in the sense of violent or aggressive or um, worldly kingdom, but it's a, it's a kingdom that comes silently, quietly, but very effectively and with great results. This morning, we're going to look at another set of stories. This one, these two stories, will, I'll, just, I'll, I'll just go on for a little while before I read these passages, but these stories are just very short little two-sentence stories about God's kingdom, what it is like, and so on. But I want to ask some questions and make some comments before we read that. If the objects of our affection, of our participation or involvement, are an indicator of our values, what are our values? Let's, let's reflect on that for a bit. If the things I occupy myself with or make myself busy with are a reflection of my values, what would people judge me? If someone would say, okay, do an evaluation of Jake Ens or whoever, and just by what you see, how would you, what would you rate are his values? It's a good question. The things we say are important to us versus the things that actually do convey that message are not always the same. For instance, let's say you invite me to go for coffee. Jake, you want to go for coffee? Sure, I'll come. You call, you text me or call me, and then uh, I don't show up. Uh-oh, I stood you up. And maybe you, oh, maybe you just forgot. Okay, and then, I, and then you call again, and then I say, I'll get back to you, and then I never get back to you. You try a third time. Oh, yeah, it's very important. Yeah, I, I want to, I want to, but then I don't. All of a sudden, you get the hint. What I'm saying is important to me is not lining up with what I say is important to me. It's conflicting. And you've heard me say this, and it's like a broken record with me, but facts 
don't lie. It's true. Facts don't lie. The things we say and the things we do, they have to, they have to align for, it to, for, for this to be real. I sometimes wonder what the historians of the future, future will say about this generation. Let's say the world stands for another 300 years and Jesus doesn't come back in the meantime. What will the historians of the future say about today? What were the values of this culture? What were the values of these people that live today? And it's bizarre. I mean, I don't know what they will say, but we're so confused. And so let's dig in a little bit. So what is something in my life, in your life, that is so valuable that under no circumstance would I let it go? Think about that for a moment. Children, that's no issue. That's, they, they're, they're small. They're, they're not adults. They have these things which are valuable. And by the way, I have some stuff too. By the way, just I have a little toy tractor. I got when I was four years old, almost five. I'm 55 now, so that tractor is 50 years old. It's a little John Deere tractor. It's very important to me. Someday one of my sons will get it. But it doesn't have eternal value. It's temporary. But it represents the love of my father to me, and that's what I value. What is it in our lives that we want, strive for, and chase so badly, so much so, that we don't care what it is, we're going to do this regardless. One thing that I do when I do premarriage counseling is, if not both partners are in agreement with their worldview, their values, I just say, I'm sorry, I won't do your wedding. Not because I don't want to help them. I just simply say, you're so far apart in your values and your worldviews, it doesn't align. And it's better for you to be single and wish you were married than to be married and wish you were single. And so I've turned some couples down. It doesn't, doesn't go well, but I have to. I do them a favor. But there are a lot of people, oh, we'll figure this out. We'll figure it as we go along. If you don't know where you're going when you start driving, how are you going to figure it on the road? You're not supposed to read maps while you're driving. You're supposed to do it when you stop, when you're, before you start out. You don't just figure this out later. Jesus talks about this very clearly in many places. So what is it that we truly value? What is it that gives value to something? One thing that, another thing that I want to br briefly bring up before we go into our uh, scripture passage is, even though we may have different values, which we do as a culture, and we are living in ever-increasingly diverse cultures, it's increasingly different, the basic needs stay the same, and they point to values we should have. For instance, if I tell you, water's not very important to me, does that mean I need less water than you do? No. Just because I ascribe a value or a non-value to it doesn't mean it has less importance or is it less necessary and I could talk about a lot of things one of the things I want to bring out and here I want to start moving into my sermon deep, deeper into the scripture passages we are born to need we're born with God designed God engineered needs you can't get rid of them you may try but we don't accomplish very much by trying to get rid of them we are born to need one another and we're born to need God so when it comes to the kingdom of God, we're born to need the kingdom of God. God does not need us so much. He wants us, but does not need us. But we're born to need him. We should need and want him. He does not need us. He wants us. We need and we should need, we need him and should want him both. Uh, one of the things I was, I was sharing this with Anna, I was going to do this with our daughter-in-law, share a little bit. We're going to, I'm going to mention this. One of the things I enjoy watching is little children. I, I, I love watching little ones. 
We've had grandchildren for many years already, but I always like watching the smallest ones. There's some who are very fascinating. And our smallest two now, the littlest grandchildren, they can't really talk. They're starting to talk now, but they can't really talk very well yet. But what they can do is express affection. They express love. Lots of it. These little ones, they cannot demonstrate, they cannot verbalize, they cannot articulate what their oma means to them. My wife is, is, is always oma. And so when we are somewhere, they only have to catch a glimpse of her, and it's one beeline toward her. It doesn't matter who's there or what's there. One beeline, their chubby little legs churning, and their little arms stretched out, and they just dive in, and they just want their oma. And then usually when it comes time to go home, then there's a fuss and a fight about don't want to go yet. They cannot express, verbalize, articulate their values, but they sure show them. They sure show them. And there's a reason why Jesus says, unless you become like little children, you will no way enter the kingdom of heaven. But is that the intensity with which we fellowship, with which we go to church, with which we care for each other? Is it? Do we go to church, to Bible study, to prayer meeting, the way little children go and want to see their Oma? Or is it, oh, not again. I'm just asking. These are valid questions. You see, lack of ability to articulate one's devotion or feeling does not in no way minimize or negate it. The little children, they're so pure, so genuine, so honest. And to them, Oma has all the value in the world. Why? Because they know her. Could they tell me anything about her? Not even if they knew, not if they spoke perfect grade 12 English, they couldn't tell me anything about her history, about her age, about her whatever. They couldn't. They just don't have it. But it's who she represents that means everything because they know her. Let me give you an illustration with an envelope. See, I have an envelope here. Just a thin piece of paper, cut and glued. It's empty. Nothing inside, see? You know what? You can buy these, a pack of 100, for $1.25 at Dollarama. So this thing is not even worth two pennies. Not worth much. How about now? See what this is? It's a $50 bill. Now put it in here. All of a sudden, it's changed, hasn't it? Now it has value doesn't it? Now this has a totally different value than it just did before. So the question I want to ask, what's inside our hearts? Is the kingdom of God inside? Have we taken ownership? Have we embraced it? Have we taken it into ourselves? That's what Jesus is calling us to do. Whatever the envelope contains will determine its value. Now, I want to be careful not to take illustrations too far. No illustration is perfect. Illustrations always break down at some point or other, and they have their limits. And so while we were still sinners, Paul writes, Christ died for us. So we were still had no righteousness, no kingdom values embedded in our hearts. There was no relationship. He died for us. That's how much he wanted us. We are God's eternal creation endowed with this image of God that's in us, and he wants us to reflect that. And so we have to say that every, anything in life that adds to that is good. Anything in life that takes away from that is bad. So let's, let's just read Matthew 13, 44. 
Matthew 13, 44, it says this. The kingdom of heaven, Jesus says, is like a treasure that a man discovered hidden in a field. In his excitement, he hid, and he hid it again and sold everything he owned to get enough money to buy the field. A very fascinating, two-sentence-long, short little story. A man finds a treasure, and he wants it so badly that no limits, nothing's off limits, no reservation, no boundaries. He's going to do what it takes to get the field, to get the treasure. And again, uh, for those of you who may not have heard our, the first sermon, the second sermon in our series, what is the kingdom of God? And it's not something you can put in an envelope. It's not something you can quantify and put on a scale or measure and has dimensions. It's not that at all. It's, it's a relationship. It's an existence of a spiritual level. Um, uh, Matt Chandler actually put it, as I said before in the previous sermon, God dwelling among his people. That's God's kingdom. God's rule, his dominion among people and discipleship. All this combined into one. God living among his people, giving leadership to his people, us following him. That's the kingdom of heaven. Just like our little grandchildren, they cannot articulate, they cannot verbalize it, but they live it. They experience it. They know it. And that's what it should be with us. We shouldn't wait until we know or understand. We just do it. We just live it. It's an, it's an inner thing. We have it. The, story, the man in the story, it says he sold everything. Now, we know these parables are not true stories. They're illustrations that Jesus tells to illustrate a, a truth. There's a much deeper meaning here than we see in the surface. And there's a lot of passages in the Bible that we can go to and look at where Jesus explains this. For instance, Matthew 6, 33. He's in the Sermon on the Mount. A bunch of Jesus' teachings is, is brought in here. And it says in Matthew 6, 33, it says, Seek the kingdom of God above all else and live righteously, and he will give you everything you need. Not, not want, but need. Seek the kingdom of God above all else, primary, Number one, first and foremost, seek his kingdom. What does that mean? Seek relationship, seek love, seek unity, seek righteousness. That's where the truth lies. So let me say it this way. What our eternal or immaterial values are will be revealed by what we do with the material values. We are just containers. We're just containers. What's inside? What's inside determines where we're going. For instance, our little granddaughters have no sense of the value of money. I checked in online and banks, they have these, these measure standards of wealth. One's the gold bar. I think it weighs 400 ounces, if I'm not mistaken. I'm not sure exactly how many ounces. But it's a, it's a big bar. It's about, I don't know how big or long, but you can carry it. It's pretty heavy. And depending on the price per ounce of gold, it's roughly about $500,000, a bar of gold. Now, I want you to just picture this. I would, my little granddaughter would come up to Oma, and she would hold a lollipop and a bar of gold. Which one would you want, sweetie? She would want the lollipop, because that's what little, ki little kids don't know better. Never mind that this half-million-dollar bar of gold is worth how many lollipops? A lifetime supply. But what do you think that child would do? Would the child go for the gold bar or the lollipop? We know what the child would do. And in that sense, we need to be mature, not like children. But how many people do the exact same thing spiritually? We want the material, the temporary, above the eternal. We may not admit it, but we live it. That's the downside. 
It's strange as how we get older, how these values shift and morph into other things. So the real question, what is that has true value? What are we willing to trade for the kingdom? Jesus made it very clear, the kingdom is worth everything. He said this man sold everything he had to get enough money to buy the field. The thing is, if we mess it up, if we get it wrong at the end of life, we can't go back and do it over. We can't say, oops, mistake, let's try again. It's, it's, when, you, when you lay your head down for the last time, you can't go back and do a rerun or hit, hit reset. It's not possible. Oftentimes, it's not a matter of one big massive decision. It's just a lot of little incremental little choices we make and just a little turn, a little turn, a little turn, and finally, by the end of it, we're off track. The kingdom of heaven does not come on sale. It's not at a discount. Reduced rate. It's all or nothing. That's what Jesus says. Jesus, Jesus says in Luke 14, chapter 14, 33, he says, You cannot be my disciples without giving up everything you own. Literally, really. He's not saying sell your house, and, and to some people he does, but normally speaking, he's not saying, okay, get rid of and throw everything away. He says, give me ownership. That's what he's saying. Give me ownership. Dispo the, dispose of your money in ways that honors me. Use your house, your car, your job, whatever. Use it in a way that honors me. That's all he's saying. That glorifies my name. That's all he's saying. Let's read Matthew 13. It's the next parable. Matthew 13, 45, it says, Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant on the lookout for choice pearls. When he discovered a pearl of great value, he sold everything he owned and bought it. Notice how these two parables, each only two sentences long in the New Living Translation, each only two sentences long, notice how they're complete opposites. See, with the first parable, there's this man who finds a treasure hides it, sells everything he's got to buy the field. In the second story, there's a similarity that's very different. In the first story, the kingdom of heaven is the treasure that's found. In this story, the kingdom of heaven is the merchant who finds the treasure. I thought that was interesting. And the merchant here is not you and I. It's God seeking his people, his church. And what did he pay to make this happen. What did he pay for the pearl? He says everything. So God gave everything for the sake of making it possible for us to join his kingdom. God gave everything for us to be part of his kingdom. And so for us to be part of his kingdom, we have to give everything to be part of his kingdom. Oh, but can, can I just give half? Can I just give a minimal? You know, can, can, I, can I just give a little bit? Just, just a little. Would you be happy if I just kept some for myself? We're asking the wrong questions if we ask those questions. It doesn't work that way. God paid full price. What makes us think we can pay 50% or not even?
And this kingdom is an eternal spiritual kingdom. In the Gospel of John, Jesus is standing before Pilate. He's about to get, he's about to get crucified, and, and Pilate doesn't know what to do with him. The Jews want him crucified, and it's just a big confusion. And Pilate is upset at Jesus, and so he, he's, he's confronting Jesus, and he's the ruler. Legally, he's the ruler of, of uh, Jerusalem and Palestine, actually. And, and he's, he doesn't quite figure Jesus out, and he, doesn't, he says he's not guilty. He knows that, but what do I do with him to make the Jews happy? And, but then Jesus responds in John chapter 18, 36, a very good verse. Jesus says, confronting Pilate, Pilate says, My kingdom is not an earthly kingdom. If it were, my followers would fight to keep me from being handed over to the Jewish leaders, but my kingdom is not of this world. So the question I want to ask is, does my lifestyle reflect an eternal kingdom? Does my lifestyle reflect eternal values? Last Sunday I mentioned the passage of the Gospel of John 3 where Jesus talks to Nicodemus. Nicodemus couldn't get this. To, be born, to see the kingdom of God, you have to be born again. To be part of it, you have to be born again. He didn't quite get it. I want to read another story. Luke chapter 14, Jesus invited to, uh, to a meal in a Pharisee's house. And Luke chapter 14, 16 it says this way. Jesus is now eating at the Pharisee's house. It says, a man, Jesus replied with this story, a man prepared a great feast, sent out many invitations. When the banquet was ready, he sent his servants to tell the guests, come, the banquet is ready. But they all began making excuses. One said, I just bought a field and must inspect it. Please excuse me. Another said, I've just bought the five pairs of oxen. I want to try them out. Please excuse me. Verse 20. Another said, I just got married, so I can't come. The servant returned and told his master what they had said. The master was furious and said, Go among the, quickly into the streets, the alleys of the town, and to invite the poor, the crippled, the blind, and the lame. After the servant had done this, he reported, There is still room for more. So his master said, Go into the country lanes and behind the hedges and urge anyone you find to come so the house will be full. For none of those I first invited will get even the smallest taste of my banquet. I've said this many times. And I don't know, maybe you can correct me, but I do not find ever one single time in the Gospels Jesus invited anybody twice. Everybody got one invitation, but not twice. If it's not important enough to come the first time, he didn't bother the second time. I don't want to say it, I don't want to mean it that way, and say, oh, you can't, there's no second chance, you, oh, you didn't say yes yesterday to Jesus, now he won't take you. It's not the point. But you have to want it. You have to want it. And maybe we need prayer for that, that we will want it. Let me read um, Philippians chapter 3, verse 7 to 8. And the Apostle Paul, he got it. He was a persecutor, persecuting the Christians, but then Jesus got a hold of him, and his values shifted. Let, let's read Philippians 3, verse 7. It says, I once thought these things, meaning the earthly material things, the earthly kingdom, whatever, I once thought these things were valuable, but now I consider them worthless because of what Christ has done. Yes, everything else is worthless when compared with the infinite value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I've discarded everything else, counting it all as garbage, so that I could gain Christ. Paul got it. Paul got it. Let's look again at the passage in Matthew chapter 13 and read these parables one more time. Matthew 13, 44, it says, The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure that a man discovered hidden in a field. In his excitement, he hid it again and sold everything he owned to get enough money to buy the field. In the next verse, 45, it says, Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant on the lookout for choice pearls. When he discovered a pearl of great value, he sold everything he owned and bought it. So what's the kingdom of heaven worth to you, to us, to, 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 to me, to all of us? Again, I go back to the little children, the little babies, the, when they run into Uma's arms. There's no pretense. There's no other agenda. There's no ulterior motives. It's pure, genuine 
And to me, that's a little taste of what heaven will be like. Complete, total, pure, unconditional acceptance. No pushing for power or control, just pure relationship. So, is that God's kingdom in us? Nothing on earth compares with it. Not the nicest car, the nicest house, the nicest clothes. Nothing compares with it. It's all temporary. This is eternal. So I would challenge us, encourage us with this. If you and I are in relationship with Jesus, celebrate this. Enjoy it. If not, there's room for repentance. There's room to come to the cross. Jesus already paid full price. We can surrender and be part of it. It's not for sale. It is free, but not free. It is free, you can't buy it. But it's not free because you have to get rid of the immaterial priorities and values to get these. You can't have it both. And if there's anything in the way, God will help us to remove that and become one with him. That's my encouragement for us this week. Let's live kingdom value living. Not temporary value living. Yeah, we live in a temporal world. We get up in the morning, go to work and do our jobs. Sure, that's all part of it. But let's do them with kingdom values in mind. Let us pray. We thank you, Lord Jesus, for your word to us. The parables you told uh, spoke deep and powerful truths. And in these truths, we find ourselves. We see ourselves. And Lord, we pray that as we go through life, we would be known for kingdom values that glorify you, honor you, lift you up, and that bring us in line in relationship with you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.